Welcome to the Wellness Hub Podcast with your hosts, Natalie and Emily. We hope to inspire families to nourish their body, mind, and spirit and become advocates for their own health. On the Wellness Hub, we'll be sharing resources to support you and your family on your health and wellness journey. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on the Wellness Hub podcast this morning. I'm so excited to have Dr. Emily Brownlee, my co-host here with me today. She is a doctor of physical therapy specializing in pelvic health and a certified pre and postnatal fitness coach. Good morning, Emily. Good morning. I'm so excited to have you on here. I feel like pelvic health pelvic floor PT, as well as fitness in pre, during, and post-pregnancy is something that either isn't addressed or is just something that that isn't prioritized. And I think that um, I'm just so excited to have you on here to learn a little bit more. I personally don't know a whole lot about it, which makes it even better. I feel like a lot of our listeners, um, this will be new to them also. And so why don't you start us off with a little bit of your background, what sparked your passion for PT and fitness, and kind of what drives you in that area? Sure. So um, like I said in our intro podcast, I'm from Lubbock, Texas, born and raised here. Um, And I knew I really wanted to do something in medicine from a pretty early age. Um, In high school, my mom and grandmother were both diagnosed with breast cancer within about a year of each other. And that was such a crazy experience. And it really brought out the uh, medical nerd in me because I wanted to learn everything. Um, I'd come in to my mom's appointments with literally a notebook of questions based on the research I had. And her surgeon was so kind and took the time to answer my 15-year-old questions about everything and why she was doing this procedure instead of that one. Um, so ultimately, I was just positive I wanted to be a surgeon for about 12 years of my life. Um, I went to Texas Tech and got my degree in cell and molecular biology, and I was studying for my MCAT, and I started following um, a physician that I really respect around to kind of get some observation hours and that was kind of the point when I realized that what my dream had been and what my dream would be were two different things Um, because we would go see a patient and chat with them for about five minutes and turn right back around and go okay here's a prescription have a nice day Mm -hmm. and I was so uncomfortable with that. Um, And it was even like this physician, like I totally respect them. It was nothing against them or that they, you know, were doing a bad job, but that's just, that was the reality of the field is that was the amount of time you had. Um, And I just couldn't accept that for myself. And around the same time, um, I had somebody give me an opportunity to observe with a PT, which I thought meant personal trainer. And I was like, no, listen, I want to do something in medicine. Like, I don't want to be a trainer. Um, And they were like, no, it's a physical therapist. Like, just, just, you know, hear them out. And of course, the first time I saw them, they were doing cantilith repositioning, which um, 
If you have ever heard anything about like dizziness that comes from your inner ear mm -hmm. involving crystals that you have to do like different positions and things, it's, it's kind of complicated. I won't go too much into it, but I was like, this is total pseudoscience. This is not real. <laughs> I don't believe in any of this. Um, and then, you know, hilariously enough, three years into PT school, I'm like, oh, okay, this actually makes a ton of sense. It's just complicated. Um, but I just fell in love with PT because the PT I observed with got to hang out with one patient for an hour at a time. That's and awesome. she got to actually serve them and get to know them and understand what made them tick and really figure out what was going on with them. Um, her patients would tell her stuff that they never told anybody else because they never felt comfortable to tell anybody else. So she was able to really make a ton of change in their lives. That's and awesome. yeah, so she, she told me when I first came in the door that she was going to change my mind, that I was going to switch to physical therapy. And I was like, listen, I know what I want to do. I've known what I want to do for 12 years, but she was absolutely right. And Betty, if you happen to be listening, thank you so much. You're one of my heroes forever and always. Um, and so that is what got me passionate about physical therapy specifically. Now, is that physical therapy here in Lubbock or in? So that was actually in Idaho. Okay. Um, she is now in Utah, I believe. Um, she actually is a pelvic health physical therapist as well. Um, she owns Reborn and she actually has a couple of different branches now, I think. So she's really taken off. So following in very big footsteps. <laughs> That's so great. And so then as far as like schooling wise and, um, and kind of what that looked like after you graduated, how did you get to where you are today? So to get into PT school now, you have to have a bachelor's degree. You have to take the GRE. You have to have a certain number of observation hours in physical therapy. Um, there's a laundry list of things you have to do. Um, for my degree, I met all of the pre-requirements except that I didn't take anatomy and physiology. So I did take that. I got a bunch of hours of observation in different PT settings. Um, and then I applied and I was probably a little arrogant when I applied because I only applied to Texas Tech. That was the only school I applied to. And I was pretty much like, so they have three campuses. They have Amarillo, Odessa, and Lubbock. And it is a very competitive program. Um, my year, they accepted about 10% of applicants. Oh my gosh. I've heard that, that it was competitive, but I didn't know that percentage. It's ridiculous. Especially in Texas, there, there aren't a whole lot of choices. So it is super competitive. Um, and with the tech program, they give you an opportunity for a particular campus. So you say yes or you say no. You don't say, well, yeah, but I don't really want to move to Odessa. Could I move to Lubbock? Um, it's yes or no. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hey, I really need Lubbock campus because <laughs> I own my house and like I can't move. Um, and most of the people I talked to had applied to seven plus programs. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so I was very quickly like, ooh, maybe I was a little arrogant here, but we'll see how it goes. And um, you know, fortunately that was, you know, the path that God wanted and that's how it all worked out. Um, but the program at tech, they're 
incredibly focused on what kind of people they're training and putting out there with their name behind them, which I love. Mm -hmm. So the number one thing that they cared about was the interview. Was what kind of person are you? What kind of clinician are you going to be? How are you going to reflect on our program? And so I think ultimately I was a good fit. And so that's, that's how that worked out. So I got into PT school and we, we started in the summer and we dove straight in to the heavy stuff of anatomy and, um, some of our more basic, um, biomechanic type courses. So the first week I was cutting into a cadaver, like it was like, let's go. <laughs> you're, you're in it sink or swim, you know, yeah. it's kind of like, um, not to make light of hell week, but it was like our hell week. Uh -huh. It was like, if you're going to make it, you've got to make it through this. Mm -hmm. So that was an amazing experience. Um, and really the whole program pushed me to my limits and past limits I didn't even know I had. Um, it was incredibly difficult, but um, two and a half or so years um, into the program, you're finished with your didactic or like your academic coursework, and then you start doing your clinical rotations. So I did four um, long-term clinical rotations. Um, I did two outpatient orthopedics and one um, outpatient neuro in pediatric and one acute care in the hospital. So, and then I graduated and I got my first job at an outpatient orthopedic clinic in town. So I got to start developing my skills all on my own. Awesome. And so then that kind of segued into your interest in pelvic therapy, right? Because that yep. wasn't what you were doing before was pelvic health or wasn't? Was not. Okay. Um, so pelvic health is still very niche um, in physical therapy. So like in PT school, our main classes were musculoskeletal or orthopedic is what you kind of think of, um, neuro and pediatric and inpatient. Those are kind of like the main courses. There are definitely others, but those are the main focuses. Um, pelvic health, I got a total of like two lectures on in all three years. Wow. And they were advanced topic lectures. It was just like food for thought, like something to think about. Like we also had one on, um, CRPS, uh, complex regional pain syndrome. Like it was like really specific little topics, you know, and that's kind of how it was presented was like, oh yeah, there's a niche for this where people pee their pants. And so okay. if you have a patient who pees their pants, find a pelvic health PT. It was basically my takeaway. Wow. So as I got started doing orthopedic, um, and I really kind of got into my groove and I got like, okay, like what I learned, I can put into practice. I can make people better. Mm -hmm. This is awesome. I would have back pain patients that I just couldn't quite get a hundred percent. I'd get them 75, 80, 85% better. And like, I just couldn't figure out what the deal was. And around the same time, all of our friends started having babies. So our friends would ask me like, Hey, I've got this, I've got that. Um, you know, you're a PT, what do I do? And I was going, crap, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't learn that. Um, 
And I just really realized I had a large gap in my knowledge base to really treat people and get them 100% better. So around the same time, I saw a video um, from Julia at the Pelvic Health Kickstarter Academy. And she was doing a demonstration with a pelvis and a balloon. It's a really common one. And what she was saying was just this huge light bulb. Like, oh my God, okay, the core is a pressure management system. That's why these back pain patients aren't getting better. That's why moms are having these unique problems and why I don't know how to fix them. So that got me really passionate about learning those skills, learning those assessments and treatments. So I did the Pelvic Health Kickstarter Academy with Julia. And then I pursued through my professional organization, the APTA, um, Pelvic Health one, two, parts one and two. Um, and then I will finish my pelvic health part three, which is pediatrics this summer. So, and I um, I even flew to St. Louis to do the lab portions. That was, um, as an introvert, way outside of my comfort zone um, to get on the plane and fly to a place I had never been to meet a bunch of people I didn't know. I, I literally knew no one. Oh my gosh. Um, and I that was such a good experience though. It was like, it's basically the last two years of my life have been like, if it makes me uncomfortable, it probably means I need to do it because <laughs> I yes. just walk away so much stronger and more confident and able to help people better. Um, but it was so awesome because everything we had learned academically they were like, okay, so now we're going to actually do it. So, you know, you get on the table and be the patient. You be the clinician. I want you to examine their pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. I want you to do the assessment. And we're going to come by and we're going to give you critiques. We're not trying to be mean, but also, like, we don't want our stamp of approval on you if you don't know what you're doing. Yep, constructive criticism. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's such a personal, it's such a personal thing. Um, to be willing to be open and vulnerable with someone like that phys physically mm -hmm. and emotionally and mentally. Um, so they were like, you know, you have no business doing this if you haven't had it done to you. Definitely. You need to understand how it feels. And even like thinking about as for outpatient orthopedic PT, you know, we, we don't go, hey, when you're ready for me to touch your shoulder, let me know. You know, because right. like, we just don't think anything of it, but it's a totally different world. Mm -hmm. So kind of more, you know, you tell me when you're ready to begin. Mm -hmm. You let me know when you're okay to proceed. And so as far as patience, I feel like a common misconception that I myself had was that pelvic floor PT was basically for pregnant women, women who have been pregnant and just from listening to you talk about like the back pain and all of that, it can be a variety of patients. Oh yeah. I think pregnancy is probably like of such a niche thing. They take, you know, 99% of the focus, mm -hmm. um, which in some ways I think is fair because pregnancy is a ridiculously <laughs> difficult thing that the body goes through. Um, it's beautiful, but it's, it's brutal. Um, and so that's kind of what they've marketed it as. 
Um, but it's anybody. It's um, a lot of what people think of with pelvic health is they think of an underactive pelvic floor. So like due to pregnancy and delivery and stuff that your muscles have been you know, traumatized or over lengthened, or they're just not strong enough anymore. And so that's your problem is basically a lack of strength mm -hmm. or a hypoactive floor. But hyperactivity is a huge, huge population as well. Um, people who have uh, chronic pelvic pain, um, people who have constipation, sometimes constipation is muscular. And it's not even like their diet might be fabulous mm -hmm. but if their muscles aren't working correctly if they're too tight they can't go like they need to mm -hmm. um and that's kind of why like when i first started getting into it i'd have patients say oh can you prescribe me some kegels and i would say i'm so sorry like no i can't because i don't know if that's what you need mm -hmm. um and i try to explain it like if you're upper trapezius muscles, so the muscles that go from your shoulders up into your neck that a lot of us, they're way too tight because that's, we, you know, hold our shoulders up and scrunch them up when we're stressed. Um, the last thing I would want to do for somebody who has tight upper traps is prescribe a bunch of trap raises. That's just going to make it worse. Mm -hmm. And if you have an overactive pelvic floor, Kegels will do the same thing. So, the pelvic floor, just like any other body system, there's a bunch of different things that could be going on. There could be nerve implications. It could be overactive. It could be underactive. Um, men is a big population that is um, even more niche within pelvic health. Pediatrics is another one. Um, so honestly, it's not just for women who have had babies or who have had surgeries, it's it's really for everybody. It's a part of your health. And it's when you think about being able to go to the bathroom only when you want to and without a bunch of pain, um, being able to use your core to lift so you don't throw out your back. Mm -hmm. I mean, all sorts of fundamental you know, movements. Your pelvic floor is the first muscle group that fires when you go to reach for a cup. That's how how elementary it is. Mm -hmm. And so it's really like everybody has a pelvic floor and anybody could benefit from pelvic health PT. That is so interesting. And so as far as like working with other alternative healthcare practices, do you feel like there are other modalities that go hand in hand with um, pelvic floor PT? Oh yeah, I think um, something that's awesome about PT is like we know what we don't know and we're very happy like, hey, why don't you, you know, help them with nutrition? Why don't you help them with this or that? Um, so there's, you know, typically based on the patients we get referred, they're coming from OBs. Okay. So we typically work quite a bit with OBs. Um, but, you know, chiropractors, nutritionists, um, family physicians, NPs, uh, I mean, you name it. Like, we, we are looking at what we know, and then we're looking at what else our patients need. Um, honestly, a lot of the time, counseling is a big component because 
if there's any history of trauma, that can be part of why they're needing pelvic health PT. Um, unfortunately, you know, with sexual abuse, that can cause a lot of pelvic pain conditions. And it really sometimes takes having a really good counselor to work through those issues and to get them better because the physiology is just one part of it. Yes. I feel like counseling is just something that's really underutilized because it's almost kind of like a, you know, a taboo thing where it's like, you don't want to feel like you have to go to counseling and, um, but it's just so important in, in all sorts of healing. And so how, well, as far as like women who need pelvic floor PT, do you know of like a percentage or was there a study done on that? So I've, I've seen a bunch of different numbers thrown around. Um, I saw a number that actually it was 95% of people who have low back pain have pelvic health, dis uh, pelvic floor dysfunction. I believe it. Um, I don't, I've also seen numbers that are lower, so I don't know you know, I think it depends on what study you look at, but I think really anybody who has back pain needs to have their pelvic floor assessed. Um, anybody who's had any kind of major surgery, especially anything abdominally, mm -hmm. abdominally, um, obviously anybody who has had children, um, anybody who's just having any symptoms that are pelvic health related, you know, I, most people could use at least an assessment. Um, I think a lot of our healthcare is so focused on addressing the problem once it's really, really, really bad instead of proactively, you know, like looking at how is it and how could we make it better? Mm -hmm. And just because again, like your pelvic floor is the first muscle group that contracts before you do literally anything. And so as far as someone who was either going to have a baby or have a like back surgery or abdominal surgery, would you recommend them just going and getting an assessment with a public floor PT beforehand just so they're aware of like how they should be moving and all of that? I think that would be awesome. Um, I think that's something that um, because pelvic health is still so niche, we're really focused on playing catch up with patients. And, you know, when a when a mom has had a significant tear or something, that's what we're focused on, mm -hmm. which is important. But I think we need to get shifted into a mentality of prehab. Um, I think orthopedic PT has done a great job of this. I see physios all the time talk about prehab and it's so true. I can tell you of the patients I saw for orthopedics, like if they were going to have a total knee replacement or something like that, if they came to me before surgery, their surgery was comparatively a breeze because they had strengthened all of their muscles. They had learned how to stretch correctly. They kind of gained a tolerance of how bad is this going to hurt? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'll push through this. This is okay. No, this is where I need to stop. Um, and I think doing that with the pelvic floor would be so awesome. I think that's where we need to go. I haven't really seen that happen yet, but hopefully that's where we're going. Yeah, I feel like that needs to be, like, 
definitely a communication topic with OBs and doulas and midwives, <laughs> you know, on the front end of care. Yeah. For sure. Um, and so have like with your own pregnancy journey, have you felt like if were you were already certified in all of that before you um, were pregnant? Is that right? I trying to think of the timeline. I think so. I did not realize I was pregnant until I was 10 weeks along. Um, cause I was really lucky and had a really easy first trimester. Um, so I had started, mm-hmm. I started this journey back in December. So I was pregnant, but I did not know that. Um, but it has been so humbling and I think it's just given me an even bigger appreciation for what patients have been through, having gone through it personally myself now. Um, you know, this is my first, so haven't hit the labor and delivery part of it yet. So we'll see how that goes. Stay tuned. We'll definitely have to have an episode about that. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I remember the first time I peed my pants from sneezing and I burst into tears. I was in the kitchen doing dishes and gosh, I must've been at least 24 weeks pregnant because I'd really, I I had a very easy pregnancy and I'm very, very active. And I think that's part of it. Um, But yeah, I was doing dishes in the kitchen, sneezed, literally peed on the floor and it burst into tears. And my husband comes running in, what's wrong? Are you okay? I said, I peed on the floor because I sneezed. And he was like, Emily, you have a baby on top of your <laughs> on top of your bladder. That's okay. And I was like, I know, but that's so embarrassing. <laughs> so when really it's just normal. It is, but there's there's a time and a place. Uh-huh. And I think that's that's kind of the cool thing about pelvic health physical therapy, like going through our classes preparing for labor and everything. There are a lot of moms, first-time moms especially, who are going oh my god that looks awful like how do people come back from that and I'm like girl the the body is so resilient mm-hmm. like it's so crazy resilient you just sometimes you need the right pair of eyes with the right background to give you a little bit of help mm-hmm. um but it's amazing what the body can bounce back from so as far as like um a console with you or an assessment, what does that kind of look like? I know it's personal to um, each individual client, but what does that look like? So I think that to be a good pelvic health PT, you cannot have your mind just totally zoned in on the pelvic floor and forget about all of your orthopedic skills. Um, That's a huge disservice to your patients. So I like to start with a total movement assessment and kind of see how they're moving in general. Um, I like to see how they squat, how they bend forward. Um, I kind of talk with them about things that they do throughout their day to get some clues on like, okay, what what movements are they doing often? What are we needing to make sure looks good? As well as what tends to be a problem. So kind of treating them like a whole orthopedic patient too. Um, I assess their strength and their nervous system top to bottom and just kind of see if there's anything that stands out to me. Um, I look at their tension. I look at um, their biomechanics and 
honestly, the pelvic portion of my evaluation is maybe 15 minutes of an hour and a half assessment. Um, and honestly, to me, it takes so much trust between a patient and a provider for that to be a positive experience that there are times I'll say, you know, let's do that next time. Or you, you think great. on it. Um, because if it's going to make them more tense or if it's going to um, not be a therapeutic thing, it's not worth it to me. Um, but ultimately when that patient is ready for that, you know, we start with an external assessment. So kind of if you think about when you've been to your gynecologist or OB, you know, and they have you take your panties off and everything and drape yourself with, with a blanket, um, that's this setup. I have a, a table to make, you know, everybody comfortable. And then I tell them, you know, hey, when you're ready, I want you to pull the sheet up. And I look for, you know, is there anything automatically that sticks out to me, like skin discoloration, anything that I think maybe there's a systemic mm -hmm. ordeal going on? Because um, that would be outside of my scope of practice. I would want to talk to their OB, their gynecologist, etc. Um, I look for any, so like atrophy would be when a muscle has just really kind of wasted away. It's not as... Um, not as uh, bulky mm -hmm. as it used to be. That's something you can really see externally without even palpating or anything. Um, and then when the patient lets me know that they're ready, I start to see if there's anything that is sensitive mm -hmm. or painful from externally, just using a gloved hand and just kind of palpating around in their pelvis to see if there's anything that provokes any of their pain that they've been feeling, if they have. Um, and looking at their dermatomes and that kind of thing, so their, their nervous system involvement. Um, the internal assessment is really a lot more comfortable than what you think of as a gynecological exam. We don't use a speculum or anything like that. We use one finger, on occasion for certain assessments, we may have to use two and we use a good amount of lubrication and we very gently and carefully assess each level of the pelvic floor. So there's three main levels that we assess and the main thing we wanna know is how strong is that muscle? How is its endurance? How is its power? Um, is there any pain? Um, are there any nerve components to it, um, et cetera? Um, and all of those things go into knowing what's actually going on. Because if you think about your bicep, so I may be able to crank out curls with a huge amount of weight, but I can only do three reps maybe. Well, when you think about the pelvic floor, you know, we're holding urine in for a long time, or if we go for a run or something like, it has to have the endurance to do its job for a long time. So that's holding the contraction for a long time. Um, versus like when you sneeze or cough or jump or something like that, that needs to be a power reaction, like a maximum contraction um, to prevent you from leaking everywhere.
So there's a lot of different ways that those muscles have to be able to react. And sometimes all of them will be a mess. Sometimes it's just one of them and that's the problem. And so that tells you how to treat it. Awesome. And so then is it like a program that you set them up on or do you do it like appointment by appointment? You reassess and kind of go from there or how does that, how does that work? So I am licensed in Texas. And so we go based on, you know, what our, what our license has us do. I am cash-based only with my practice. So I don't use any insurances. Um, patients are welcome to submit to their insurance for reimbursement, but I do reassess each patient um, every month or so just to make sure that we're on a good path. Um, some PTs that may be a little different depending on what insurances they take. They may do it every 10 visits or things like that. Um, but I like to look at, okay, your problems are like a pie. There are pieces of it. Here are the pieces that I found today. Here's how long I think it would take for us to solve those pieces. And we may find more pieces as we go along. But my initial plan is, you know, I think that we could accomplish solving these pieces of the pie, you know, once a week for six weeks or something like that. I'll kind of come up with a game plan and really discuss that with the patient to make sure we're on the same page about it. Because um, something else I'm really passionate about is not dragging people across the finish line. I don't think that's very helpful for anybody. So I like to make sure that the patient is ready to heal their body and go on this journey because especially with the pelvic floor, like it takes a lot of you doing your homework and doing what I need you to do for you to ultimately get better because a lot of it is repetition, 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 and it's, some of it's kind of boring, mm-hmm. but if you want it badly enough, you'll do it. Mm-hmm. So, and so I know I've, I've been exposed to nervous system based chiropractic through a few different avenues. And so, um, I was like envisioning that pie that you said, and I've been to chiropractors where they look at like the whole pie and then there might be two main ones that they focus on. And then the other little pieces might fall into place. Like they might adjust for three or four areas on the body and then everything else is able to adjust based on that. Is that similar? Oh yeah. I think, um, it's always going to vary from practitioner to practitioner, like what they see based with their experience. Um, but that's, that was such a cool moment for me when I, as a clinician got to that point where I could go, okay, not only do I know I need to do X, Y, and Z, but I really think if I do X first, Y might take care of itself. And then we'll even see if Z is even a problem anymore. Because by doing X, I might accomplish Y and Z just by doing X. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not always true, but it, it is really powerful when that happens. Um, the nervous system is incredible. And I think when, when you can address some of those components, sometimes you will see that the muscles and the joints just kind of snap back into what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. It's cool. That's awesome. And so... Let's shift gears a little bit into the fitness aspect of um, of your career. And so 
as a certified pre and postnatal fitness coach, what does that entail and why were you inspired to go that direction? So that was totally selfish <laughs> because I am a fitness junkie. Um, I love exercise. It is my drug of choice. Um, so when I got pregnant, I had a lot of people telling me what to do and that pissed me off. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I'm going to find out what the actual research actually says. And then I decided, you know, kind of twofold, so selfish, but also I was thinking about my patients in the orthopedic setting and I would get them where they were doing so great and they'd be coming in the last few appointments before I discharged them and they're like, I just feel awesome. Like I could do this and that. I haven't been able to do that in years. I'm doing great. And I'd be like, oh, awesome. We killed it. And then they'd come back months later and the same problem came up. I was going, oh, why does this keep happening? Well, because they didn't have any other in between to keep them good, mm -hmm. you know? And so, and really with strictly PT, that's just not really in our scope of practice. You know, we're supposed to address symptoms and not just prescribe like a trainer would prescribe just general exercise. Mm -hmm. That's not what we, what we do is not technically therapeutic. So you cannot bill for that. Um, and so I really felt like that was a huge gap that I wanted to fill eventually anyway. Like I always dreamed of having a clinic that was also a gym and being able to transition patients into, um, you know, fitness, um, you know, coming to classes or training and having people they could ask questions, basically. Um, so that was kind of my twofold thought process behind getting the certification um, because the general recommendations out there are so vague and unhelpful. They're like, oh, well, if you did it before pregnancy, keep doing it. Or they're like, don't ever start something new when you're pregnant. Mm -hmm. And those are like the two pieces of advice I would get. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, what if I was pole vaulting before? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and like, I mean, I know I'm saying that kind of flippantly. Like, I know that's not what they mean, but it's not really helpful, especially like, as a physical therapist, I was like, this isn't helpful. So to the general population, I can only imagine. Mm -hmm. um, so I got my certification through the Girls Gone Strong program. They're an interprofessional collaboration of physical therapists, OBGYNs, researchers, chiropractors, dietitians, etc. A bunch of brilliant um, practitioners and they really all got down to look at what does the research actually say? Let's quit using cliches. Let's quit using, you know, what everybody's just been saying. Let's see what the research says and let's put something specific to get together so that trainers can give these women specific advice to keep them safe, but to keep them active. Because I think there's kind of two camps of like sky's the limit, which isn't necessarily true because pregnancy is tough on your systems. And so, yeah, there are some limits you need to make. Um, but 
You also don't want to become a couch potato. That is not good for you. It's not good for the baby. It's not doing anybody any good to say, well, just rest for nine months. Um, so they really looked at what are the main things you need to know. And my takeaways were really that you need to look at experience level of the person that you're programming for. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't start something new. But if you think about like, if you're an experienced runner, like I, I've been running for years, I ran, um, I probably stopped running around 23, 24 weeks of pregnancy. And that's because <clears throat> I could tell, okay, this isn't good for me anymore because I'm experienced with this. This isn't fatigue. This isn't me trying to be lazy today. This is my body telling me stop. Yeah. This is the end of <laughs> you're running yeah. in this pregnancy. Your body's giving you symptoms. Yeah. It's telling you something. Yeah. Like it's okay. You'll, you'll come back to it. But right now you need to pause. Um, and so that's the beautiful thing about experience. But that doesn't mean you can't start something new. It just means you are going to have to learn those cues from your body as you're learning the new stuff. Mm -hmm. um, another big thing is exertion level. So high intensity interval training is super popular, especially among women. Yep. And, you know, I, I have mixed feelings about it. If you love it, go for it. You know, if it, if it gets you active, I'm all for it. But during pregnancy, it's a really bad idea because high intensity interval training requires you to push yourself to a hundred percent of your effort and then rest and a hundred percent of your effort yeah. and your cardiovascular system just cannot take that extra taxing when you're growing another person mm -hmm. it's too much um research shows that you really don't want to ever push beyond like a 75 percent to 80 percent exertion level because heart rate isn't a reliable um measurement to look at because your heart rate will be elevated because you're pregnant. Mm -hmm. So kind of thinking about if I'm sitting here doing absolutely nothing and that's a one out of 10. And if I were to sprint as fast as I physically can for as long as I can until I have to stop, that's a 10. You really want to stay around a seven and a half to an eight or below during pregnancy, just for your safety and your baby's safety. Um, so again, that doesn't mean you can't run. It doesn't mean you can't do CrossFit, but it does mean you, you have to check in and go, okay, how hard am I pushing? Do I need to pull back? Mm -hmm. um, another big thing was um, percentage of weight lifted. So like if you if you happen to know your one rep max, that's great um, because they, they really say don't lift more than 85% of your one rep max. If you don't know what your one rep max is, um, I would have you... <clears throat> do 10 repetitions till you can't do any more and then we could calculate it um okay. i wouldn't recommend you try to find your one rep max during pregnancy um but again that's just because you have so many extra demands on all of your systems during pregnancy and so it's just not a good idea i feel like i have also heard from either clients or just my mama friends about form and how you know, their, their back might already be strained because they are pregnant and then they go and do a workout, but it's not 
like they're not doing the right form for their body where it's at. Mm -hmm. And so do you work on, I mean, I feel like of course you would work on form, but what does that kind of look like? So I think a big, big piece of this is, and I'm the worst about it. So I understand when people are like, yeah, I don't want to do that, but it's so important. Um, you have to do warm-ups. You have to, especially when you're pregnant, because your body, especially as a first-time pregnancy, oh my gosh, your body is like, what is happening? Everything's stretching. Um, things are tighter than they should be. Things are looser than they usually are. This muscle isn't firing like it's supposed to. This ligament is, you know, angry. So it's super important to do a warm-up. And there are a lot of really specific movements that are really helpful. A lot of them are based in yoga, like cat-cow, mm -hmm. child's pose, um, happy baby, stuff like that, to just kind of get everything warmed up and moving before you get into especially any strength training. Um, because your body is just going through a lot. So you have to warm it up before you really get going. Um, the other thing is that your center of gravity is going to be kind of messed up like <laughs> a more scientific way to say it um and you have to anticipate that you have to adjust for that um like there's a point in time when doing single leg stuff is not a good idea and i don't know i feel like there are two camps of people and that's totally fine there's a, there's a camp of hey, you need to slow down. <laughs> like it, It's okay. You will be able to do this later. And the people that you're like, come on, you need to work out. It's good for you. You know, let, let's go. Um, I am in the, hey, you need to slow down camp. Um, but, you know, everybody has the coaching that they need. Um, and I think just taking a step back and going, okay, did you have symptoms with what? Why did you have those symptoms? Does that mean we need to stop doing this exercise for now? Or can we tweak it? What is your rib cage doing in comparison to your pelvis? Why is that important? Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of hands-on and eyes-on that's really important with that population in that time period because you may not see it in yourself, but somebody who's been trained will see it and they'll be able to help you so you don't hurt yourself and set yourself back mm -hmm. um, or just feel like you can't do anything because you're afraid that you're going to hurt yourself. Because mm -hmm. I think that's that's also almost as harmful as hurting yourself. Yeah, and I feel like I was thinking of kind of what makes you different in your field. Um, as far as like the pregnancy fitness, having that physical therapy background takes it to a whole nother level because you have all of that um, information. Yeah. It's, um, you know, you, you do have to be careful because, you know, I am licensed as a PT to treat impairments and I have a certification in fitness to train asymptomatic individuals. So I do have to be careful. You know, I can't be diagnosing impairments in my fitness um, individuals, but I can go, okay, here's what I'm seeing. Here's why it matters. And here's what I really want you to think about 
from a structural level. And I think sometimes, you know, there are people who are like, look, just tell me what to do. I don't, I don't want to know, you know, the nitty gritty. But then there are those people who they really need that deep understanding of why. And it's super helpful for those individuals because I can tell them the nitty gritty of why. Mm-hmm. Um, or I can just tell them what to do if that's, yeah, I've had, I've even had a bunch of patients like that who are like, look, I don't care what it is in my back that's messed up, just fix it. And that's fine yep. too. <laughs> and so when you have fitness clients, are they on a program? Are you giving them, like, do you have different programs that use weights or body weight or, you know, prenatal, postnatal type of thing? What do you offer? So I currently do, you know, one-on-one fitness coaching virtually, um, and I will build you a program and check in with you. Um, I can critique your form and stuff, or I can just give you the program and let you go, and we can check it out, you know, uh, check back in and see what we need to tweak. But what I am moving towards is um, probably after my little one is here, um, so I, you know, have all my attention ready for it. Um, but I'm going to be launching the Mama Bear Pregnancy Prep Program. So for pregnant clients who want a program designed specifically for them, for their um, experience level, equipment that they have available, how much time they have to dedicate to exercise per week, um, I will make them their own program. It's a 14 week long program and they get to connect with other participants in the program via a private Facebook group. And we'll go over every single week, we'll have topics we talk about in depth. So we'll talk about, you know, things to think about with your exercises during pregnancy, like symptoms to watch out for, what you could do about them. Um, Everything from that to how to think about your nutrition with the, you know, emphasis on pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously a little vague there because my, you know, my expertise is not that, but just kind of some general guidance and then referring them to others if they need more specific advice. Um, even going into like, hey, especially if this is your first pregnancy, what are things that other moms are like, oh, I wish I would have known that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but just, even products. I feel like a yeah. lot um, of people are like, I, this is something I really wish I would have had. Yes. But just building that community with all of my clients who are participating in the pregnancy prep program. So I think that it's going to be so fun. I'm so excited for that. And then on the flip side, I'll have Mama Bear Boot Camp, which will be postpartum. So that'll be a 12-week program. Very similar of like, you know, we'll chat about what equipment do you have? What's your lifting experience? What kind of cardio do you enjoy doing? Um, because ultimately I want you to be successful on this program. So it's not a one size fits all, it's tailored to you. Um, but then you also get that awesome community of mamas who can go, hey girl, I know I'm exhausted today too, but I made it to the gym. Here's a picture of my workout, you know? And like, hey, you rock, I'm so proud of you. And sharing that. recipes, sharing motivation, sharing encouragement. And so this can be in person and virtual, right? Like it doesn't matter what state you're in or? Um, so it doesn't matter what state. Um, as far as the implementation of those two programs, that is going to be virtual. 
but I do really want to do some meetups locally um, and maybe do like a class here and there and then they can ask a bunch of questions they you know can interact in person um, but I do want to make sure that it's available to more than just our local community so it will be predominantly virtual um, as far as that goes that can be anybody in the United States um, as far as PT goes I'm licensed in Texas so for physical therapy you have to be within Texas but for fitness coaching anywhere great gosh I feel like we could talk all day about this all of this information was just so incredible I want to end with a question um, that goes a little bit deeper and that being what legacy do you want to leave behind so i think i kind of have a personal version and then i have a professional version i feel like um personally especially being a mama myself you know i want my kids to be the best that this world has to offer i want to raise them to just be tremendous human beings and um to be able to withstand the crazy times that i feel like are coming uh in the future and to be a, a light to the people around them to keep them focused on faith and family and you know what really matters um as a clinician and a coach my the legacy that I want to leave behind is I want to be that clinician that patients go oh my gosh you were the first person who I have told that who has actually heard me um and I have had that experience multiple times and it makes me want to cry <laughs> because that's what it's about it's about making a difference in a space where everyone had the opportunity but you were the one who actually took the time mm -hmm. out of your day to hear somebody and impact their life and make lasting change to improve their life forever that's 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 the best gift that god could have ever given me is being able to make it through all of the training that i went through so that when somebody tells me hey i feel dizzy when i do this i hear my vestibular system needs to be checked out and I check it out and we do something about it and they walk out of there and they no longer have that problem. Like that's, that's all that I want to leave behind is to always be somebody who actually heard and saw people and made the impact in their life that they deserved, even if they'd never gotten it before and to encourage other people to do the same. I love that. And I feel like you've already you already have such a a good jump start on on both of those goals. And so as far as contacting you, what's the best way someone could contact you, whether that's via social media, email? Um, going to my website is probably the easiest because just everything's there. You can book appointments, you can get to my social media or email or anything. Um, so it's mama bear M A M A bearfitnessandphysicaltherapy.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. Um, my Instagram is 
Mama Bear Fitness and PT, because it made me shorten it. <laughs> and then Facebook is Mama Bear Fitness and Physical Therapy. I actually don't remember by YouTube, but we'll link it. <laughs> yeah, we can link we can link it below. Um, we also started an Instagram for this podcast. It's at the Wellness Hub Podcast. And so we'll both be sharing who our guests will be for the upcoming weeks and just any information regarding that. So thank you so much, Emily. This was awesome. I hope that this was a good resource for um, both local and non-locals in regards to pelvic health and um, pre and postnatal fitness coach. It was a blast. Yes. So great. And we will see you next week. Next week, I'm going to be interviewing Natalie about Harmony Collective and Pilates and all of those fun things. So be sure to tune in next week to hear her interview.